sweet hour of prayer sometime during the day. Some I know are early in the morning, some in the middle of the day. You may pray late at night before you go to bed, but we need to have that little sweet hour with the Lord. And so that's a good reminder for that. I have a prayer letter here from David Edens. I mean, he's a, you remember David. Everybody remember him? Came here? I don't know how many languages he speaks, but he's talking in here about translating into some other language I never heard of. C-I-F-I-N-A-Q. Anybody ever heard of that? <laughs> I never did either. It's some African dialect, but he's, he's I mean, it's amazing to me. He says here, um, on the 21st of January, I visited the town of Adarbissanot. I'm hoping that's cr- close. Some 100 miles south of Agadez. One of the reasons for this trip concerns a message I received over a year ago. (laughs) How about that? He had a message over a year ago, and, you know, finally he makes it down there. And and that's just to say, you don't take travel lightly there. When you're going to make a trip out in the desert there, it's a major undertaking. Not only for the physical demands of the trip on your body and on your vehicle, but for the safety as well. But the message was from friends who worked far away in the south of Niger, and one of their employees was from this same city, and he had told them there were Christians in this town who were interested in starting a church there. Around 40 years ago, some of our dear friends were missionaries in this village, but left after several years due to political pressures of the government and power at that time. Well, when we arrived the other day, we were not able to find anyone we knew in the town. Around noon, however, we went out of town about three miles. And there, as we were having dinner, we met a Tamajuk-speaking man whose encampment was nearby. And he told us that he listens to our radio broadcasts regularly. He asked us for one of our Gospels that are printed in the C-I-F-I-N-A-Q language. Uh, the ancient writing of the Tuareg nomads. And when we presented a gospel of John to him, he opened the first page and began to read. And I was pleasantly surprised when he read the page perfectly well without our help. Two things were evident from this encounter. Many are listening to our Tamajic language gospel radio broadcast, broadcast all over the Niger Republic. And despite my previous doubts, the Sefenok language or writing is well understood by those who know it and this writing is capable of conveying the message of the gospel to those who can read it now there's obviously much more on here i'd not even come close to reading it but just as a word of encouragement that the money you know we had a part in giving for the printing of scriptures i don't remember now if that was the language or not but it was you know, this is a part of the whole ministry that David Edens has in the Niger Republic. And so we're, I consider it a privilege to be a part of that anytime we can get the Word of God out uh, in whatever form. And also with the radio broadcast that he has. And this is going out all over the country, and he constantly meets people that tell him that we listen to your broadcast regularly. Now, he doesn't exactly tell you here, but, you know, a lot of those people, good many of them are Muslim. And they tune in and they listen. And if you're any uh, what aware of what's going on in the world, in that part of the world, Muslims by the thousands are coming to Christ regularly. And it's just amazing. You don't really hear much about that from our perspective over here. 
But if you talk to missionaries, there are many, many coming to Christ. And so we need to continue pressing on with that. Okay, we have a guest with us this morning. I told you a little bit about Ernie and his wife, Carol. Of course, both of their spouses passed away several years ago, and then they met. And it was kind of a unique story. She said she was on her way home on a Saturday night and was praying and said she just wouldn't mind, you know, getting married again. She is fairly young and... And said, for some strange reason, she said, maybe he could even be a pastor. Well, then she got a phone call from somebody, I don't know who it was, and said, we're having a guest speaker tomorrow. And he's a widower. (laughs) But they had about 12 widows in the church, as I understand it. (laughs) So it was quite an interesting matchup though the lord brought them together and and they've made quite a couple and we've had the joy of uh spending time with them uh this week this weekend ernie was and he doesn't consider it i guess from his perspective but from my perspective as a young buck who had just dedicated his life to the lord and was as green as you could ever imagine a person to be spiritually speaking and and as far as knowledge of the bible zero you know <laughs> Uh, maybe John three sixteen. I guess I knew. And I really considered him my mentor and my discipler. And uh, he really, you know, and I don't know if he, he viewed it that way, but see, back then, it was real important to me, and it was a real turning point in, point in my life. And to my, in my thinking, I thought, you know, if he would never have done that, I might have just been, I might still be back up there in Indiana working in a factory somewhere and just, you know, bumping along through life. But the Lord brought all that about for a reason, and, and uh, boy, here we are today. And it's been an amazing thing to see how the Lord's journey has brought me you know, right to this place here and how he's blessed in, in an understanding of the Scriptures and what he has given us. And, boy, life as a Christian is great, isn't it? It is just great. Well, he's asked me to read some, a Scripture passage here. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 25... And I'll read the verses 1 through 13, and then he can come on up here. And, and you, want to, you can come on up now if you want, Ernie. You might as well and have this. He's got a little knee problem here. If you saw him there, he, does, yeah, he, he doesn't run anymore or do any jogging. Yeah, I thought I might have to get him up here, but you're doing it. I'm okay. soaring like an eagle. <laughs> soaring like an eagle. <laughs> okay, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps, went forth, and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. And as we've noted many times, and you, most of you all know, it is our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. 
Afterward came also other virgin, the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, Pastor Allen. I'll try not to be too long, but uh, well, thank you for the invitation to be here this morning, and I want to thank uh, Pastor Robinson and his lovely wife for the, I mean, the tremendous courtesies and hospitality that has been extended to us. We've stayed with them now since Friday evening, and uh, you couldn't ask for more comfortable stay and the food and the fellowship, and it's just been wonderful. Thank you. And like Alan said, we go back a long time ago, I guess 1972, and um, I don't know if I should say this or not. I mean it in the right way. Uh, we, he and I worked together to build a bus route in our church, and by the name it was Community Church too. And um, we came in one home, and the little child had no shoes. And Alan said, Ernie, why don't we buy some shoes for that child, and maybe they'll put him on the bus. And sure enough, we got shoes, and that child got on the bus. And as far as I know, that he's a young man now serving that church yet or somewhere else. He's, he, was, he was a pallbearer recently when I was over there, and so I know he's serving the Lord. And for you lovely ladies that are out here, uh, it's nice to see all of the men and the ladies. But we sang that first song. Uh, I don't know if you know, know about uh, Robert Robinson. He wrote that song, and something terrible happened in his life. And he got into an enormous state of depression and took a voyage on an ocean cruiser. And while he was on that ship, he was even thinking of ending his life. And here he went up on deck, and there was a lovely lady like you ladies out there singing that song. Come thou fount of every blessing. And he kept gravitating toward it because he wrote the song. And he went over and, and he listened and listened as she sang it. And the Spirit began to work in his heart. And then she began to witness to him. And literally, she prayed with him, and he came back to Christ. That's a true story. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's a true story. So don't ever think you can't be effective wherever you are at, because there's someone hurting around you that's looking for a word of comfort, a word of uplifting. Secondly, let me ask some of the younger folks that are here, but you that are my age or younger as well, where are you at in your life, and what are you doing with your life? I can't help but think, what will you do when life is over if you have not served Christ as far as your eternity is concerned? Just recently, I came upon a quotation I read, and I've used it in sermons many times, about Richard Border, Borden. Excuse me. You know, he inherited the, the Borden dairy fortune, multimillionaire. Now, this was yesteryear. And turned his back on it because God called him to the mission, mission field, Alan. And in his diary before he went to be with the Lord, he said, and he meant extra resources, no resources, no recourse, and no regrets. Will you have regrets when your life is over? Because you have all of eternity. I'm 73 going on 74 now. And uh, life is short. It just seems like yesterday was 1972. 
I can remember walking on the campus of Grace myself, and I graduated from Moody Bible Institute. I went to Baptist Bible College, by the way, in Springfield, Missouri, Maranatha's Baptist College, and Hiles Anderson Baptist College. I went to all of those schools in the past, and I mean, it goes fast. And believe me, when you get to be in your late 50s and 60s and 70s, you know what I'm talking about, and you look back on it, will you have regrets? I hope not. This morning, if you're not right with the Lord or dedicated to the Lord, get right with Him and make it right with Him. The things I want to share with you this morning, let me say this at the introduction because if I don't, I may forget to say it in the middle or at the end. Prophecy has always been a fascination of mine. I was saved August 5th, 1962 at Balboa Stadium, San Diego, California, just out of the Marine Corps. My late wife, by the way, Carol and I will celebrate our 10th anniversary now, May 27th. Uh, she lost her good husband in 1996. He had a massive heart attack, and he was the treasurer of our church as well as a leader, spiritual leader in the church, long before, of course, I was there. And my late wife, the mother of my children, she was my wife when I knew Alan, contracted cancer in 1996, and the Lord took her in 1999. It metastasized and went to her brain, and he took her very, very quickly. So Carol and I met uh, sometime late in 1999. I'd come back from California, went back to where I became a Christian and where I met my late wife, to the Marine Corps base I was stationed at for so many years. I was I was in amphibian tanks, Camp Pendleton, Camp Del Mar as well. And uh, came back, and Moody wrote me a letter and said that there's someone looking for a minister. And I called them and said, well, I'm a widower. I said, you know, it says a man should be the husband of one wife. I said, so I have got a handicap. He said, oh, great. He says, we got 12 widows in our church. <laughs> so anyway, I met Carol, and... Uh, I remember the first date, I was scared, you know, a minister, and she was the treasurer, and she took her husband's place, and she's a church secretary. And, you know, preachers are not supposed to flirt with ladies in the church. And I was scared, and I said, Lord, I'm lonely, and I prayed. I says, if I'm going to stay in the ministry, I have to have a wife. So when we went out on a date, I took our van, and later on she asked me, she says, why did you take that and not the car? I says, well, there was a motor between us. <laughs> it kept me at my distance and kept you at your distance. But may I say this, as I indicated a minute ago, about what I want to share with you this morning, and I'm not going to even scratch the surface, honestly. There's no way one can do that in, you know, these brief minutes. Prophecacius, the Greek word, 1 Thessalonians 5.20, do not despise prophetacius. Revelation 19.10, Jesus says, I am the spirit of prophetacius. But it's to motivate you and I to do more, to be living for Him, to be close to Him, and to being obedient to Him, and loving and serving Him, even the greater more, and trying to bring others to Him or leading others to Him on a personal basis. And certainly, as Alan prayed here, or excuse me, talked about missions, both praying and financially supporting Christ and His work and what He does. That's what it's all about, believe me. You know, Jesus said and challenged the people in John 5, 39, search the Scriptures, He says, because 
They are they which testify of me. And that's what we need to do. In Acts 17, I think it's the 11th verse, it talked about, and I belong to two churches. I think I pastored one that was a Berean Baptist. They were more noble inasmuch as they searched the Scriptures to see if these things were true. And so the things we want to share this morning, maybe some of you are very familiar with it, but if not, search the Scriptures to see if they're not true. And so let's open our Bibles at this time, if you'd like to, to two places. First of all, Matthew chapter 16, and also Matthew chapter 24. And as you're turning there, I'm going to read, I could quote it, but I'd rather read it to you. Matthew 16 and Matthew 24. God said this once and for all and forevermore. I'm just quoting this from Isaiah 46. Remember now the former things of old, for God says, I am God and there is none else. For I am God and there is none like me. For I am the one that declares the very end from the beginning, from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done. And saying this, my counsel shall stand and I shall do my pleasure. And that's what our God is capable of doing. He declares the end from the beginning. He keeps his counsel and carries it out. In fact, when you're ordained in the ministry, at least in the Baptist ministry, you have to take an oath that you'll preach the entire counsel of God based on Acts chapter 20. This is a current issue, and maybe some of you subscribe to it as well, of the uh, Israel My Glory. And if you do, why, you are aware of the fact that there are no less than three, and I think actually four articles, to somewhat deal with the topic I want to deal with you today concerning prophetical issues. However, in this, it's already begun as far as the beginning of the world government itself. Indeed, they tried their very best on December 7th of last year. When they went to Copenhagen, they were going to use the uh, global warming as a nucleus, as a catalyst to build something to bring stability to where they could tax nations for emissions and so on. But, of course, at that time, someone blew the whistle and knew the truth that there was no such thing as global warming, that it was a matter of just getting the nations together. Now, they confirm in this issue they have targeted the year 2012. Now, what is that, two years away? They're endeavoring to cut the G20 nations down to 10 regions with 10 superior leaders. They've already made a stability board for finance, World Central Bank, to where nations can draw from it. They have a draw in America under Obama is going into this as well. They're supporting a new world dollar. Now, that may not hit the scenes yet for a little while because that's so shocking. But all of us are aware of our declining value of our American dollar. Literally, you and I are living in Scripture, prophetic Scripture, fulfilling times of history right now. It's happening before our very eyes. There's no doubt about it. What Nimrod tried to do way back in Genesis chapter 11, come now, let us build. And they called it, then it was a ziggurat, a building as high as heaven to reach, might reach to heaven and we might make a name. This is exactly what they're trying to do. And Alan and I spent some time, in fact, I listened to Alan and I really was fascinated as he told me his thoughts. 
But they're trying to build something together, a euphoria, a utopia, whatever you want to call it, without God. And one day they're going to get their wish for a short time, at least for seven years. Maybe three and a half of that seven years. But now this is not biblical, but it's theory. I'm just uh, postulating this. If Israel spent 70 years in captivity, and they did, and as Daniel said, they were freed, and Jeremiah, remember, studied that and wrote about it, if 1948 was the target date of that spring of that year, you count 70 years from 1948, and you're to come to 2018, back in the land. I'm postulating. I used to track seven years of tribulation from that. Possibly. You're coming to 2011. We're getting the ballpark. It does seem that these people are trying to concentrate on 2012, the end of the tenure of President Obama's administrative four-year tenure of president. Again, I'm saying we're living in very interesting and fascinating times. When we read our newspapers or listen to our evening news, we need to compare that with Scripture. What does Scripture say? Uh, as you may have heard, this is an old one. But years ago, I used to travel around in Nebraska and Ohio, and I brought messages like this. I'm an old war horse. I'm old now, so please, I'm a little slower and dementia setting in. But, you know, you heard the story of the, how did it go. The airline called in on the control power and said, you know, say down there, what time is it? Control power called back and said, well, that depends. Are you military or are you civilian? Because if you're Continental Airlines or American Airlines, it's 12 o'clock. But if you're military, it's, 13, it's 1,200 hours. And the answer came back, we're none of those. We're the Washington, D.C. commuter flights. Oh, in that case, the big hand's on 12, and the little hand is on 12. But we laugh. But Christians are somewhere in that place right now, as far as knowing the signs of the times. Now, notice in Matthew 16, this is a question that Jesus is asking. Verse 2, Jesus answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say it is fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today because the sky is lowering. And then he says, You're hypocritical. How can you discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? Now, we won't turn back to First Chronicles, but in First Chronicles, it speaks about this, about the sons of Ishchar how that they knew the signs of the times, and in, also in their case, they even knew what to do. And so we're going to be talking about not only identifying the signs of the times, but knowing what to do, if the Lord will allow us this morning. But what are the signs of the times? Three years ago, the van we drive, we, we take to conferences. Three years ago, regrettably, we lost Ruth Graham. Carol and I were on our way to Charlotte, it was a year they opened. In fact, they just opened up his museum or whatever they call it, the, the, the library. And if you haven't been there, take a trip this summer. It's worth it. It's beautiful. And uh, they even have the first television camera that filmed his first television broadcast and uh, have a great deal of memorabilia there for you to see. 
But they had just laid Ruth to rest. And we went to her gravesite. She's buried right at the foot of the place. You can't miss it. And uh, it's really a place of honorarium for her. But interesting, on our way there from Asheville, believe it or not, if you've been through that area where the Smokies are really pretty steep and grady and curvy, there's one mountain, and I'm not exaggerating, 32, I said, 32 signs, 32 signs to warn you about the grade and the curve that's ahead. So if you go over that mountain, it's at your own fault. You've had 32 warnings. Jesus is trying to get something across here about signs. And that's what signs are in the scripture. They're road signs that will tell you, hey, what's up ahead? Time's getting shorter and shorter. What are you doing with your life? Are you living for Christ? Are you serving Christ? Are you leading others to Christ? I pose the question again, are you? Now, contrary to that, let's go back to Matthew 24. In this particular case, verse 3, As Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately and said, Tell us, when shall these things be? Secondly, what shall the signs of thy coming be? And last of all, in the end of the age. End of the world, ends of consummation of the age. Now, we're not going to go through all of that dissertation this morning. But you know how he goes through all of what actually is happening right now. Let me be honest with you. Have you in your lifetime ever known a time in history? Have you ever known a time in history comparable to Genesis 6 like today? I mean, I'm talking about domestic violence. I'm talking about terroristic violence. I'm talking about violence everywhere. Isn't that a sign? I mean, God gave us a mind of rationale. Isn't that a sign? Allen lives on a steep hill, and yet people lock their cars up there. You have to lock your cars everywhere. I mean, you read the papers or heard on the news, parents abusing kids, their own kids. I mean, what a time in history this is. And no wonder we live within 60 miles of the Northern Illinois University shootings. I went by it the next day. Police everywhere. But men's heart are evil, where hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them, Jeremiah said. My point is, if you take God out of schools and universities, you take God out of the, your political system and your court system, your adjudication system, this is what we've got. Have you ever thought about what they're going to really get when they get the Antichrist, when they really get what they want without God? I can't imagine a personification of evil being concentrated in one man and one government without the Holy Spirit there to resist it. I certainly wouldn't want to be there, and I wouldn't want any of my loved ones or my friends to be there. In fact, I wouldn't even want my worst enemy to be under such conditions. Would you? Now, the sons of Ishkar, it tells us, knew what to do. This is a true story. Billy Graham told it to me. Many years ago, he knew Albert Einstein. And this was back in the 50s. And Albert Einstein was on a train somewhere, 
somewhere in Russia, somewhere in Russia, believe it or not. And the conductor came by to receive the tickets like they always do on the train. And Dr. L. Einstein was looking fervently through his coat, his pockets, for a ticket to give to the conductor. And he couldn't find it. Well, twice the conductor went by and said, Oh, Dr. Einstein, we know who you are. We know who you are. Don't worry about it. And finally, in exasperation, he got up and said, My good man, you don't understand. I don't know where I'm going. I have to have my ticket because it was bought for me. I see a man laughing and joking. But Christians, do, do we know where we're going? The only way to heaven is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's personified in Jesus Christ, and God's people said, Amen. You got to do better than that. You're Baptist. But listen, as Christians, where are we going? Now, Ellen, what time do you go to? Would you be patient with me? Let's look at a few things. Uh, let's go back. Go back to Revelation for a few minutes. I think it would behoove us to do that. Some of these I can just quote. But in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, what I want us to look at, if I can find it myself, thank you, Lord. Chapter 2, verses 18, 24, the dispensation called Thyatira. Now, Thyatira was a church, but we call that a spot, the apostate church. That's the apostate era. When you get to chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the Sardisian, the Sardis church, that's the dead church. Didn't even know it was dead. Remember the age where people said, God is dead, God is dead back in the 70s? Well, they didn't realize that they were the one dead. Nothing wrong, God's still alive. But the apostate church started with Valhausen and some of the others we studied at Grace. I'm trying to think of the other man's name. The dead church. And you know, and I mean this respectfully, I want to say, talk respectfully. But I've known mortuary directors personally, because I've probably in my lifetime conducted a thousand funerals. And they've told me they bring in cosmetologists to make a dead person look as alive, like they were alive. And that's what really is the scene there in chapter 3. This church wanted to look alive, but it was dead. It meant it was inanimate. And I should have said this at the introduction. They had no oil. When Alan, pastor, pastor, read that, one classification was wise and one was foolish. What are we today? What are we practicing today? Wisdom or foolishness? That word watch, for you know what hour, in verse 13, agorado. And when you read it from Matthew 25, when you get to Mark 13, I believe it is, and so on, the Greg Agarado means keep on watching. It's in the, in the tense that's uh, present participle. It means go on and on and on and on. Keep watching. God wants us to watch and look and be ready. That's the key word, be ready. Are we ready? And then when you look in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 20, that's, I'm going to take my coat off. It is warm up here. May I do that? Are we allowed to do that? Lost my microphone. I have to put it up here, I guess. I apologize. And that is the church of Laodicea, which is lukewarm. 
I could spend the rest of the morning on this, and I'm not going to. But in our area, for example, we have a church up there now that's so large, so materialistic, they bought the entire mall. The church owns the mall. They rent out. They're not even a nonprofit organization anymore. They rent out the buildings for the businesses. They own them all. And it says doing church a different way is their model. How can you do the scripture a different way? If Christ is the way. I think he wants your allegiance to him and obedience to him. And God's people again should say, Amen. Amen. But if there's ever been an age where we're in Laodicea, our Sardisian situation, dead, inanimate, inactive, or the apostasy that set in so deep. And it has to go that way. It had to go that way because when you get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, how is that great deception going to come? God says, I'm going to send them strong deception or strong delusion. And they will accept and believe a lie. And just think how many are doing it even as we sit here this morning. Now, let's go back to the book of Daniel, and I'll go through these quickly. Daniel chapter 2. I'll hurry. Verse 44. This is talking about the Lord coming up and setting up his kingdom. But this comes right after he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And what destroys the great image that was in the dream was a stone that was cut out without hands. And in verse 45, it says, This stone becomes a great mountain. And Alan spent a great deal of time talking about the millennium yesterday to me, and I enjoyed every moment of it. But it's going to take the power of Christ to destroy this. But it actually is the the ten toes coming together. When you get to chapter 7, Daniel has it in a vision, but he describes it in a way of a beast. It's not a statue. Depicting men's nature. Showing their nature. When you get to chapter 8, here is the... First, introductory thoughts on the Antichrist himself, of his nature, what he will be like. Among the ten horns, in verse 20, he's the eleventh horn, the one that comes up among them. Until, verse 22, the Ancient of Days, our Lord comes back. And I suppose all of you are aware of the fact there's two phases of this advent. The rapture comes first. And by the way, the next event in history is the rapture. Even the peace treaty doesn't have to be signed first. Today we could hear the trumpet sound. Tomorrow, this week we could hear it. The next event is the rapture. Then the peace treaty, solemnized and confirmed by whoever the Antichrist is. And by the way, there's always an Antichrist. The man from Kenya fills the billet. Daniel 9.26 says he'll come out of the people to destroy God's temple. Did you know that? It was Legion 10 that destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Legion 10. And they were from Africa, Saudi Arabia, and from Turkey. They had a a Roman general that led them, but they were the people that did it. And it says the people. Because Satan doesn't know when the Lord's going to come and rapture the church. So he always has someone ready. That he can put his hand on who will be the Antichrist, whoever he picks. And whoever sell himself out to evil. And so we get an introduction to him in chapter 8, chapter 7. 
Then we have the example in chapter 8 of Antiochus the Epiphanes III, who actually committed the abomination of desolation, which you know about. If you want to see the verses itself, it's Daniel 9, verse 26, about out of these people. And we get to chapter 11. It's verse 39 in Daniel. What is this all over? Parting God's land. They divided my land. What's the biggest issue right now? I think it's Ezekiel. I don't know. Just quite memorize the, the quote from it, but it says they did it for gain. The issue right now is to make a two-nation state over there. In other words, Palestine and Israel. And, of course, they're going to do it against the will of God because that property really belongs to our God. And notice in chapter 12 in Daniel, knowledge will increase, verse 4, and three times, verse 9, all the way to the end of the chapter, talks about the time of the end. This is going to happen at the time of the end. Have you ever watched David Reagan? Now, David was at the, the co uh, conference here two years ago, but he's talking about this, uh, this curve, exponential curve, that nothing has ever gone so wild on an exponential basis than it has in the past 10 years of what's happening to actually fulfill what I'm reading here in Daniel 12, that third verse about knowledge being increased. We're on the exponential curve right now. And by the way, all of these great scholars that are Messianic Jews, believers in Israel, my glory, but not only they, but many others. Doctor, I know Jack personally. I know Tim LaHaye personally. And I don't know uh, Hal Lindsey. I've met him and ate with him, but I don't know him like I know the other men. But they believe we're on the verge of this as well. And then when you get to Joel, it's called the day of the Lord. Remember in chapter 1, all the way through chapter 3. And by the way, God calls it that day. There's coming a day. There's a day that the God will judge. No day like it that's coming. That's the second phase of the advent. In Joel chapter 3, verse, second verse, it said there, they did it to part my land or divide my land. I would like to have you turn to Zechariah. Let's turn to Zechariah. Chapter 4 and chapter 5, where you see the two olive trees mentioned in verse 3 in chapter 4. They're identified who they are in verse 11 through 14, the last verses. They are the two witnesses that come up in Revelation 11. Just like God has to bring oil, the five foolish did not have their oil. They ran out, as Pastor Allen brought out. But the others took oil with them. And thank God you're here today. You have oil. Keep your oil. Keep going for the Lord. What's the old child song that was my late wife's favorite? Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. And God do that for all of us. But they're identified there. And they're the ones that furnished the oil. And they helped the 144,000 and so on to get the message across to where many people are going to be born again and saved during the tribulation time. They're the tribulation saints. When you get to chapter 19 in Revelation, by the way, they partake in that first resurrection and they're... Their terrible treatment is given in chapters 6 and 7 in Revelation, but they're the ones that come out of tribulation, but many of them die. And they're raised in what we call the first resurrection. We're the rapture saints because we believe before the Lord comes back. We're pre-trib. Then turn to chapter 5 in Zechariah. Here's the rise. 
What I mentioned that Nimrod started in Genesis 11 and has carried on, that spirit has carried on today. And remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream back in Daniel 2, you know, it was a combination of all four of those empires coming together in that one head with the ten toes at the bottom. And when you get to Revelation 7 18, it's going to be commercial. And that's what they're going for now with the dollar, the banking system, what I've read here out of the magazine. It's going to be militarily. And you know, they've even got a movement now. They've had several meetings to have a world interfaith religion. Everybody on the same keel, we're all one. And we're not. And God's people said, He that hath the Son hath life, and he or she that does not hath the Son does not hath life, my Bible says. And so you read from verse 5 in chapter 5 all the way down to verse 11. And where do they wind up in verse 11? Back in the land of Shinar. That's Iraq, dear ones. There's a reason why we've cleared that land. As you sit there this morning, are you aware that $135 million was spent eight years ago of your tax money, my tax money, to build, build our embassy there? There it is, all by itself, right out of the city of Babylon. Not Baghdad, Babylon. It is self-contained, has its own water system, its own sanitation system, it has its own electrical system, its own plant to, uh, to manufacture electricity. Somebody had a vision for something in the future there. And there are many people scratching their head, what? But could it be what we're reading here? Because they moved back to the land of Shinar. And do you know that the Vatican is talking about moving its headquarters there eventually? What did David Hunt write years ago? The woman that rides the beast? Because Nimrod started the mother god religion. I don't know if you knew that or not. This all started way back. It's not new. So maybe in our lifetime we're going to see this happen as well. As I said, I'm going to hardly scratch the surface. But you're, you and I are living and seeing this happen right now. Today. Now, in these moments that remain, let's. What should we do about it? Uh, I could quote it again, but go back and look at uh, chapter 12 in 1 Chronicles. Look at verse 32. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. I notice that your beloved teacher this morning, and I speak this respectfully, he did a marvelous job, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, he dealt with dealing with our enemies. And if there ever were a time we need the armor of God and the power of his might and to wear that armor, it is today. But notice in verse 32, the children of Israel, which were men, had understanding of their times and knew what Israel ought to do. And that's what Jesus was getting at in Matthew 16 when he introduced this. And that's what Jesus tried to answer his disciples' three initial questions there in Matthew 24. By telling them these signs, when they come to pass, you know that it's at the very doors. And I hope this morning God is getting through to you that we're there. And God's people should say, we're there. Now, I could quote them, but let's, uh, let's look at some of them. Um, Let's go to 1 Corinthians 4, the New Testament. 
faithfulness. If it were not for my first wife, who's in heaven now, by the way, my daughter was born in 60, so she would be, um, how old, Carol? 60s, you'd be... Right. Uh, so my late wife went to be with her daughter. But Jannie, in her cerebral palsy state, brought me to Christ. And all through the years in the ministry, my wife helped me get through school. She worked at Amrock and Rockford, go through Bible college. She supported me when I went to Moody. I passed her when I was going to Moody, too. Then I went to Maranatha after I graduated Baptist College up in Watertown. I knew Dr. Cedar home personally. He was a good friend of mine. He was president of the college. He came out of Pillsbury up in uh, Owatonna, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, excuse me. But if it weren't for them, and then my wife now, because I'm ashamed to tell you, but last year, this very month, I was in the hospital in intensive care for four days, almost died. God could have taken me, and I contracted diabetes. I never had diabetes. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my good wife, though. I really mean that. And Alan and his wife have really taken good care of us, too. But I'm like everyone else suffers with that. You've got to watch your blood sugar all the time. It's very dangerous. And, I mean, it really controls a lot of your life that you were so took you, uh, for granted before. But notice here, being faithful, that's what I'm talking about. It is required, first of all, that in stewards we must be faithful. And I better go through these very quickly because that clock is not my friend. Second Corinthians 6.14, separated. Come out from among that which is unclean. I, when my children were small, my two sons, my daughter's in heaven, I would say, why in the world would we want to go and play with something scuzzy, stinky, smelly? Because God says that that's what sin is like. And Corinthians says that it even corrupts good manners. Who could want scuzziness when you could have the cleanliness and the white robe and linen of Jesus Christ. So come out from among them and be, un, be uh, clean and not unclean, the Lord says. In 2 Timothy, for example, chapter 2, the 15th verse, Study your Bibles. Approve them to God. A workmen and workwomen that need not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing, systematically, God's word. The day I was ordained... I was interrogated for three hours. I was ordained on my birthday, on my 30th birthday in 1969. Dr. Peter Mustrick, Dr. Fred Young, and one other, uh, Dr. Grant Rice, not related to John. I knew John Rice, too, by the way. went to many of his conferences. And I was interrogated. But when you are ordained, you promise... God, that you're going to be faithful to his word. And they want to know what you know systematically in theology, if you got it together right. Well, Christians, we have the same obligation. And sometimes if you don't know the answer to a problem, say, I may not know that, but maybe my pastor does or someone does, and I'll get the answer for you. Because believe me out there, there are people that are groping and hungering and searching for truth. There be some, may be someone even working near you or by you that may be contemplating something terrible and they're only looking for hope they're looking for life for solutions and answers that only Jesus Christ can give them 
In the book of Hebrews, for example, chapter 10 to 21st, 25th verse, excuse me. Let's don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I hope I have a good attendance up in my church. I'm still pastoring uh, myself. But let's don't be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Be faithful to God's house. Study His Word. And be faithful to Bible studies. Hebrews 12, the second verse. Let's look to Jesus. Why? Because He authored this book. And He completed, or He's the finisher of your faith. And what I say to you, I say to myself. These are things we ought to be doing. The sons of Iskar knew what to do. First Peter 3.15. These are ones you should know by heart. Sanctify the Lord God always in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to someone who may ask of the reason of the hope that dwells within you. I'm sincere. We live 14 miles from Freeport, Illinois. We live in a little farm town named Lena. Our church is in Norris, halfway to Warren, Illinois, about 14 miles the other way. And we go about every day, midday, because we're senior citizens and meet with senior groups. And we've been witnessing to some of them for years now. I mean, at least three, maybe four years. One man, Zale, I thought he was Jewish, but he got upset when I said that. I asked him. But I've been witnessing him for, and he owns a, a local business. He owns a big, well, not big, but he has a car uh, propriety business there. And he's, in fact, he's in Arizona now, right now, buying cars. I'll never forget it. It was not long ago, maybe three months, four months ago, but we were sitting together, and he came right up to me, and he said, How do you know you're going to heaven? And God gave me an opportunity, an open door. I mean, his heart was as open, his mind was as open as could be. And the answer I gave him was exactly Scripture. And he it's, it planted a seed. I haven't seen it germinate yet, but God gives life. And God's people said, we have to wait and see. You never know. When you read the book of Peter, I think I'll wait till I get to that one there. Uh, let's look. Let, let's, let's quickly turn to the book of uh, Timothy with me. And I'm, I'm winding it up now, so just be patient. First uh, Timothy is at four. And then second Timothy three, I think. Some of these I didn't have roped off. Now, chapter 4 in 1 Timothy, look at this, the first verse. God the Spirit says, speaks expressly. Now, that has the same emphatic thought when it says that in Hebrews 1, where Christ is the express image of God the Father. He's the express image. Expressly, it means, it's, listen to this, that in the latter times that Daniel spoke about, the end times, there will be a departure from the faith. That's Thyatira. The dispensation of time retire. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And these people don't even know it. Some of these people that have these churches that are easy believism, a grab it and nab it and all of these other things that they say, you know, they don't even realize what they're doing. And the book they study the least is a book that's in your lap right now, the Bible. It says they'll speak lies even in hypocrisy. I think we all know what that means. It means deceit cover up, make believe, and their conscience even seared with a hot iron. And by the way, that's talking about it's insensitive. And for years when I, pa- I pastored Grace Baptist, so you, our church used to support BIMI, where Alan's at. And then at, Mungry, at Montgomery, I went to two or three institutions and dealt with abused children. 
I have never known parents so cruel and brutal to take cigarettes and burn holes in their children's foreheads or their backs and deal with these kids for years to get them back to normal again. But the inhumane things that people are capable of doing, but isn't the heart desperately wicked? And God says that these are the things that will happen, conditions in the last days that you and I can look for. Look in now Second Timothy, I think it is chapter 3. I don't read them all. Verse 1, the last days, perilous times will come. The word could be rendered dangerous. Times will come. And it could be rendered terroristic times could come for terror. They're predicting another hit by summer for us. And then it goes on to describe their condition. And do you realize that what you read here from the time of Constantine to the Reformation until now, that every epoch that's listed here has conditioned itself in dispensational epochs of history. It's worsened and worsened and worsened and worsened until it's got to the degree where it's at today. And notice verse 7, the ever-learning, that's empirical learning, never able to grasp the knowledge of the truth, the life, the way, and God's truth. Jesus Christ said, I am truth. I am the epitome of truth. And then they even resist, like these did in the past with Moses, did their resisting. Now, turn with me, please, and I'm come, really winding it up, I promise. Second Peter 3. And let me just briefly mention something. You've been very kind. Thank you. You've been very studious and attentive. I can sincerely say in the past decade, the past 10 years, I've seen this in verse 3. I never thought I'd see it among believers, but there are scoffers among believers. Oh, we've heard that. We've heard it coming out our ears. Where is the promise of his coming? And like I said, the motorendi, the motivation behind this is to get live deeper and closer to Jesus Christ, to bring others to him, to witness and lead others to him. I've known Alan now, well, I, don't, I haven't counted, 34, 35 years. He and I, I, I think I married them. They've given their life to Christ and BIMI and to, to your work, to God's work. And I know you have. You, you have your story. I'll say one day at the Bama Seat of Christ, you won't be sorry. You have eternity to have a crown to throw at his feet. And to walk beside him in a place of honorarium. One of my favorite verses has always been, without turning back to 1 Samuel 3, I think it's verse 30 there, that they that honor me, I won't honor. You know, the very church we started with, the tie retired, you know how that ends? If you repent of your apostasy, if you come back to me, that's the one where I knock at the heart's door, I want to come in. You know what Jesus says? Come and sit on my throne. Come and sit. What did Satan want to do? What was his desire to get on God's throne? And here Jesus is going to give an invitation to Christians to come and sit and rule with him. Live for him, my friend. And notice in verse 9 now in chapter 3 in First Peter, let me keep on with the program. God's not slack concerning his promises. 
He's not willing to any perish. And he promises that the next judgment will be with fervent thermonuclear heat. That's what it really means here. When you read all of the verses, and I, oh, by the way, can I inject this in? I didn't even get to Ezekiel 38 and 39. The rapture's next, and the peace treaty, or peace treaty, and then Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, I won't go back because my time is gone. But you read it today at lunch or tonight or this week. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39. You can read it in 20 minutes. Seven times, seven times, seven times God says, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Four of those sevens to the nations, three is to Israel. They will know I am the Lord. God is going to save them again like he did from Pharaoh's coming encroaching army. And then after that, that's when the Antichrist is going to rise to power. In chapter 39, the third verse, I should have, too bad I didn't show it to you, but in Ezekiel 39, 3, it says, God says, I'm taking the bow out of your hands. Islam is going to lose its bow of power. No arrow. And that bow does not reappear until Revelation 6. A man on a white horse. And it's Stephanopoulos, the crown. It's not Diademus on Jesus in chapter 19. The Stephanop that bow was placed in the Antichrist's hand. So Islam is not going to impede him and stymie his work. And I'm sorry I didn't have time to go through that, but read that. It's very interesting. It's interesting, too, that in chapter 6, the man on the white horse wins a Nobel Peace Prize. Interesting, isn't he? He's a man of peace. Just a thought. Just a thought. Then verse 11 now, chapter 3. And I said, I hope I said Second Peter. I'm sorry. It's Second Peter. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved with fervent heat and so on, what manner of persons? I'm trying to answer the initial question we started with. We ought to be in our holy conversation. By the way, that's not mean verbal. It means your lifestyle, the way your demeanor of life and godliness. And we should be, and this is why we're here today. This is why I'm talking about this. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I can talk about discipleship. I can talk about um, anything, giving, soul winning. And the Lord said, no, prophecy, prophecy. And I'm on my way to a prophecy. Like I said, I, I love it. And at my church, I have to be careful because I'm accused sometimes of talking too much about it. But it says looking for. Isn't that what Jesus said? Watch. You know now what hour? The word egorado. And keep watching egorado. Looking for and hastening unto the coming day of the Lord. Where the heavens will be on fire shall be dissolved. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Where we're going. The founder, Dr. Ray Brubaker, graduated from Moody Bible Institute, I think, way back in Probably 44, 45, 1944. Well, it must have been 45, I suppose. He, the day he graduated, they dropped the atomic bomb on Nagasaki and Hiroshima in Japan. The day he graduated from Moody. And it changed his whole life. He sang and had the radio broadcast with George Shea. They shared the same network. And from that moment, he dedicated his life to Bible prophecy. He said, oh, he said, the weapon that Revelation talked about is invented now it's not the atomic bomb, it's the thermonuclear bomb that can do even ten times as much damage. And so he and his wife, Darlene, founded God's News Behind the News. And I've been going since 1992 down there. Now the Lord 
He went home to be with the Lord last year, and Darlene went to be there about five years ago. And the son-in-law's taken over. But I'm telling you, it has edified pastors and Christian saints from all over the world. Men come in from um, Avi Lipton, my wife corrected me. He's part of the Mossad. I guess Alan corrected me. It's the secret police. He keeps us informed on what's going on in Jerusalem. He's in high in their intelligence and so on. And by the way, Israel, look for him to make a move soon on Iran. They're very close to the nuclear bomb. They're not going to allow that to happen again. Do you know they even have the Samson theory? They have what they call the Samson, the Samson project. They have a switch that they can pull, like Samson did, that'll send thermonuclear bombs everywhere. If they're going to go down, they're going to do what Samson did. They're going to take the Philistines down with them. This is true. This is not speculation. We're living in times where our Lord is going to have to come back. Like he said, if it weren't, the days weren't shortened, men would destroy themselves. When you have men like Ahmad Abinajad and others like him and Adolf Hitler of yesteryear and so on. And last of all, please let me give you this, Jude. I can quote it so you because the time is really gone. Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. Did you know that? He was slow to the faith, coming to the faith, just like James. And what practical books they wrote. But notice... He wanted to put everyone in remembrance in verse 5 of all the things that we're being warned about. And when he was going to write of the most common salvation, which I thought I'd preach about when I came here, it was needful, he says, to write unto you and exhort you, yet you should earnestly, and here it is, here's another thing we ought to be doing, fight for the faith. Contend for the faith. Keep your Bible. Believe your Bible. Stand by your Bible. The Bible is absolute. This Bible I'm preaching from is plenary inspired. It is inerrant. It is the Word of God. And God's people said, May we pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege, the honor, and the joy, and just the wonderful experience of being here with Alan and Janet and his lovely people in this church. And Father, they prayed it. I usually do, but we ask for your visit this morning to touch us, affect us, and manifest yourself to us. What did those Grecian sages before Jesus was apprehended? We would see Jesus. You promise your word and never return void. It's just like the rain comes down from heaven, the snow, and bringeth water to the earth, and it might bring forth bud, Lord, to the grower, and bread to the eater. The word that goes forth out of your mouth and not return void will accomplish that which pleases you and prosper the heart, mind, and soul whereto you've sent it. So we would do the prosperity and beneficialness to everyone's heart and mind today, this morning, as well as my own. And thank you for yourself. You are our Christ and our Savior. You are our God, and it's you that we come to hear and see and worship this morning. We turn it over to you and to, and to Alan now, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Ernie. And as we always do, we want to offer you an opportunity to come this morning. A uh, message like that's what you hear pretty regularly here.
that we're to prepare ourselves and be ready for the coming of Christ and his judgment seat and the things to follow. And so we want to give you an opportunity to come as we sing. Brother Bob.